Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to Greenwashed with me, Don and Jaspreet. And we are thrilled today to have with us the Queensland Senator, Malcolm Roberts, someone who Don and I have listened to for a long time. I call him one of the Fab Five, the five politicians we have, uh, Senator Babel, Babbitt, Gerard Rennick, Alex Antic, and others speaking up. And it is not often that, in fact, I think, Don, this is the first interview that I, that we are interviewing someone from my, who was born in my motherland in India. Yeah. And, yeah. and, even, and it was, it was yeah. unique to find that out. It is fabulous to have Senator Roberts on, but um, yeah, that was a unique find. And another thing, another, I mean, I think a bigger rarity is a politician who has real world experience. So Senator Roberts, you have a degree in mechanical engineering. You've got an MBA from Chicago Booth University, and you have had quite a lot of corporate experience. How did you end up in politics, if I may ask? Well, just a quick correction there, Jaspreet, uh, and thank you for the welcome and thank you for the invitation. It's lovely to be here. Um, I have a mechanical en- mining engineering degree, an okay. honours degree in mining engineering from the University of Queensland and a, and a Master of Business Administration from the University of Chicago. So I was in New Zealand, working in New Zealand for all of 2005 with solid energy, turning around to mine Spring Creek at um, at Greymouth. And we loved it, by the way. Kiwis are really uh, down-to-earth people, especially around Greymouth. They, they call a spade a spade, and they love it when we call a spade back Um you know, I remember having an effigy of me burnt in, in, the, in the local <laughs> park when I arrived because they were undergoing some um, uh, strikes with regard to a new labour contract. You can't, is that what you called it over there? I can't remember. A new industrial agreement. Mm-hmm. And they, they burnt an effigy of, of me in the, in the park. And, uh, and when I left at the end of the year, the, the mining uh, union president, uh, his name was Harry, I think. Um, yeah, lovely bloke. Um, he came up to me and said, thank you so much for what you've done. You've been really wonderful. We wouldn't have done it without you. So, you know, that they, they're able to take calling mistakes. But I, I finished in, in New Zealand in 2005. Um, they wanted a contract extension, but I couldn't do it for family reasons. And so <clears throat> I came back to, to Australia and I suddenly heard about all this carbon dioxide, which is going to destroy our planet, fry our, oh, sorry, boil our planet, boil the planet, you know. It's going to fry us all. We're all cooked and that's the end of it. And um, and I thought, this is rubbish because one of the things we have to do as a as a mining engineer, Jasper, even though I've spent most of my time in management, I've spent a little bit of time in engineering. Uh, at university, we're taught, at TAFE College, we're taught techni- uh, at, um, what do you call it, technical college, we're, we're taught this about atmospheric gases because one of our responsibilities is to keep people alive underground. Mm-hmm. So we have to know the composition of, of the gases and, and what, what gases are harmful and what gases replace oxygen, et cetera. And so I thought, this is rubbish. Carbon dioxide is almost inert. It's a very, very stable gas. It hardly reacts with anything. It's used as a fire extinguisher, for, for goodness sake, to put fires out, not to create them. It doesn't spark fires. So um, and, and, and there, there are some tests. I won't go into the details, but um, I thought, this is pure crap. And, uh, and and then I got talking to uh, Ian Plymer and he, he explained, he agreed with me. And the more I researched, the more rubbish I found because, you know, when, when, we're, when we're facing thousands of scientists and hundreds of politicians who are telling us that the world's going to end and all the science is there and you realise they're speaking rubbish, 
then then you think, hang on, it must be something wrong with little old me. So so I just kept researching the science for a couple of years, and then uh, I found out it was all rubbish. And then I started looking uh, down the rabbit hole and finding out the UN was driving it. And then I found out what the UN was about. And then I found out who was driving the UN. And that's when I came alive on this issue because I didn't know how, how bad the – I just thought the UN was incompetent and dishonest. Uh, I, I now realise it's far, far more sinister than that. And, um, and so I, I was asked to speak. Ian, Ian couldn't make a, an event one night. Ian Plymer, who's a wonderful, wonderful speaker, um, he couldn't make an event, so he asked me to stand in. And on, that, on the uh, forum was a politician called Pauline Hanson, and, and she was impressed with, with my speaking. And so she eventually I did a few more forums with her, and then she asked me to stand beside her as a candidate. And I, no one expected me to get in. But we had a double dissolution, which made it easier to get in, and uh, and so I got in, and uh, then I got knocked out after about fourteen months. Uh, yeah, fourteen months. I got knocked out with dual citizenship, even though mm. I was the only one who wasn't a dual citizen. But nonetheless, I technically didn't comply correctly at the time of nomination. So fair enough, out I went. But I must have done something good in those fourteen months, which is fairly brief, because I came back three years later and and contested the next election and got back in in an ordinary election, not a double dissolution, so on my own right. So um, so people appreciated what I, what I was doing in that just that brief period. So that's how I became a politician. Interesting. We, we didn't even get the quip in about um, the Wallabies losing to the All Blacks over the weekend, but we've got that in now, so I had to put, that, <laughs> I had to put the slipper on there. Hey, um, well, you know, that's, it- that's because over in your country it's the religion. Uh-huh. Over in our country, it's the third third level sport behind uh, oh. Aussie rules and rugby league. But yeah, we almost knocked you off. We yeah, all, almost got it you. Was, it was close. It was close. Good try. Uh, we'll just come over and win the Melbourne Cup this year or something to really <laughs> do a do a Kiwi on you again. Anyway, um, there's a lot of lot of banter between New Zealand and Australia, and it's good healthy stuff. But isn't it interesting how uh, as we open up this interview, we immediately start talking about the big ticket items that are knocking us around, um, climate policies and uh, the nonsense that um, seems to be everywhere, all pervasive, doesn't matter whether it's, um, doesn't matter how you cut it, climate policy seems to go right down to the minute eye of regulations now. And I assume it's the same in Australia. Uh, the issue we often ask is, or the question we often ask is, how how can we hit it off? When is common sense going to 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 hit the the regulatory machine and and back off on all this stuff? It what will only start to end, Don, in my view, once the people realise they are in charge of the country. So. I don't know your constitution, your New Zealand constitution. I, I don't know your system of government very well at all. I know you've got a uh, quite unusual by by, by Western state standards um, election process. It's fairly complicated. But uh, our country is a constitutional monarchy, which is not a monarchy. I'm guessing yours is similar. It's not a monarchy because in a monarchy, the king or queen rules. They give orders. They make the laws. They 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 give instructions. But in the constitutional monarchy, it, there's a constitution at the top of the state, if you like. That's the, that's the head of power, and then the the monarchy serves the constitution. They have they have defined roles, very limited roles, very very limited powers, and they're there just as a reserve, and and it, and it functions really well. So we are essentially a republic, which makes us and. and 
our constitution, from what I've been told, is the only constitution in the world in which the people voted for the constitution. And the people who can change our constitution are not the bureaucrats, not the politicians, not the king or queen, but the people. So that puts our constitution is the supreme, is a sovereign a sovereign entity, if you like. It's what governs us. It's we're we're a, we're a republic because we're governed by laws, and only the people can change the basic constitution, and and so we're in charge. And every three years, the people elect a, a government. So that means we are over overriding over overseeing the government. And what's happened in our country, like in many other countries, we have. Uh, the people have fallen asleep. We've, we've had a pretty good time in the last 170 years and we've fallen asleep and taken things for granted. And both sides of politics, and you'll notice this, this same formula applies in, um, in the United States, Canada, New Zealand, uh, Britain, all countries that came from the, from the, from the Britons. And, um, and that is that, that we, we have a parliament that we elect, but it's now, it used to be representatives that we elected in a district and in, in the Senate, representatives that come from the states so that each state has 12 senators and that's proportional representation. Now, I won't go into the details, but it enables little parties to have a say or people who vote for little parties to have a say. So what what's happened though is over the years, the the globalists have, have taken over very subtly, and we have only two parties in each of those countries. Well, New Zealand might have three, three fairly significant parties, doesn't it? Uh, two, to, two in the main, two in the main, okay. and, two, and two more subordinate. And Yeah, Canada is two in the main and one subordinate. And Britain, it's two in the main. New Z- and America is two in the main. Australia is two in the main. So you get either Tweedledum or Tweedledumma. The Republicans and, and the Democrats are now very close. The Liberals and Labor Party in our country are very close. The Tory and the Conservatives are very close. In fact, there's no difference in, in the policies of the Labor and Liberal parties other than what they tell each other and blame each other for. Uh, and there's, they're lies. There's no difference. They're both two wings of the same, same, uh, same machine. And they're both controlled by party power brokers who are putting in globalist policies. You see the leader of the Senate in, um, in the Liberal Party in opposition in in uh, the Senate federal Senate is Simon Birmingham. He's a globalist. Uh, the previous uh, the previous his, his predecessor Matthias Cormann, Senator Cormann, was a globalist and became uh, head of the OECD. That's what well, that's that's what what's going on. So we've got people. The other thing that's, that's happened, Don, is that uh, that causes people to fall fall asleep is that some decades ago, both parties were somewhat independent of each other. And, and people voted either Labor or Liberal, and their mum and dad voted either Labor or Liberal, so they voted Labor or Liberal, and then so on it was passed on. And then uh, the newspapers perpetuate the myth because the newspapers are owned by the globalists in large part anyway, or the, sorry, the media is owned by the globalists. So they perpetuate the myth that there's a real difference between Labor and Liberal, and the people are conned. We're basically working in a system where we're controlled, not as much as we used to be controlled under feudalism, but that's where the UN and the World Economic Forum and the globalists that, that control them would like to take us back to feudalism. So we become landless. We become just working our guts out just to survive, eke out, eke out a living, and everything we produce goes to the globalists. That's what they want, and we're just we're just slaves who are consumers and can prop up their profits. It's it's going to be that that's what they want. I don't think I'll get it, but that's what they want. So that's how it's happened. Malcolm, I've seen your uh, 
raging in Parliament, wanting demanding answers about how much does Australia pay to the United Nations. Did you ever get a definitive answer there? Uh, not at not at the time, as you saw, just Breed. Um, I haven't checked that actually. I haven't, I haven't checked. That's a long time ago. Mm. Uh, I think the point of that was that we know it's 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 many hundreds of millions of dollars a year, and we also know that that they don't don't like talking about it. But I haven't been through that that set of questions. Gee, that's mm. something I must chase up. <laughs> right. The other thing you said, you know, the constitution and people vote for it, and they they are the ones who change it. Out here in New Zealand at this point, we are seeing a a systematic creep over the way government is run. We have virtually no opposition to speak of. We have an entire narrative about everything being racist. So now we have a separate healthcare system based on ethnicity. They are talking of uh, it's coming, creeping through in all strands of education, right from university down to kindergarten level. It is coming in literally everything. So in the terms of co-governance, and I have always held that what does co-governance mean? Are we, you know, in a way, are we contracting out government? Are there people coming in who are unelected and so on? And I see a very similar thing playing across the Tasman right now with the voice. But at yes. least you guys are going to have a referendum about it. That's right. And and I think it'll go down. I'm very confident it'll go down, but we won't take the foot off, off their throat uh, until we until we see the no vote. But um, the most woke state in this country, the most uh, socialist uh, state in this country is Victoria. And mm. the latest poll, I don't know how, how um, significant the poll is or, or who, who, the, who the pollsters, but I just saw a newspaper headline saying that Victoria is now 55% no, 45% yes. So Victoria is that way. That's very serious for the for the um, referendum, um, the proponents of the referendum. So we're we're delighted with that vote. And that means every state now will be voting no. For the benefit of our listeners, some of whom might not be up to play with what the voice actually is, could we have your uh, you know your insights into what is being proposed for Australia's future? Yes. Um, it was very difficult to find out anything, Jasper, about the voice because uh, they wanted to keep the details secret mm. because before the election, the federal, the, the, new, the now prime minister was the opposition leader and he stood up in parliament and said, we will have a voice, we will have a treaty and we'll have a truth telling. Okay. So he said all three. And, uh, and, and, and so that understand that context now with the voice looking pretty tainted because they have hidden the, the details. They've been very, very deceitful about this, the government, um, because the voice has, has been hidden. They're now exposing the they're now exposing the prime minister for his comments about the treaty, which is essentially said it had to come and uh, and the truth telling. And, and so now he's gone very quiet again about the treaty because the treaty is what they want. And that's. In, in, as I understand it, you have the Treaty of Waitangi, is that it? Yep, that's our and, version and, of the UNDRIP in a way. Yes, that's right. Um, but as I understand it, international law says that if a, if a country comes in and invades or, or lands on another country, um, then and that's, that country has a system of land tenure, which says your land is your land and you pass it on from generation to generation and your land is your land, no one else can come on it without your permission, then they have to have a treaty. They can't just take it over unless they have a war, of course. Uh, and they didn't do that with New Zealand, I understand, because the Maoris were, were pretty strong. Now, in, in Australia, 
we had that system in just a, a few islands in the Torres Strait, which are islanders. They're not Aboriginals. They're a different race. And and the rest of the country, the mainland part of Australia, n- there was no system of land tenure. So there was never a treaty. Mm-hmm. So what the UN, and the UN is behind all of these things, um, what the UN wants is a treaty to steal our land. I'll give you another example in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same I, thing that's happening here. They keep saying yeah. that UNDRIP, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, suddenly for this agreement with the NGO, because that's what I call the United Nations, they are unelected, unaccountable, unwanted. We are changing the entire system of a country. Yep. So so um, what, what, they, what they want is a treaty to take mm-hmm. away everyone else's rights, to take away every, everyone's rights, including the Aboriginals. They want to take away our, our rights to use our property, especially because when you had the United Nations, several of the senior people have said that their their aims are to put in place an unelected, unaccountable, socialist global government. They didn't say unaccountable, of course, but <laughs> that, that's un, unelected, um, unelected socialist global governance. That's what they want. They've said it. They've said climate change has got nothing to do with climate or the environment. It's all about polit- political uh, control and redistribution of wealth, which means give us the lot. That's what they're really saying. Um, and and so so many other things that have done the same way. It's COVID. Who was the World Economic Forum was recently quoted saying that COVID was a wonderful demonstration of of how we can we can take over and and exercise our control and how we can manipulate people. I mean, they said it. So um, so what it's about is about forming that treaty to steal our land. To have a treaty though, you can't have a treaty between a government and no one. You've got mm-hmm. to have another entity. So that mm-hmm. entity has to be created. That's the voice. The voice will be um, supposedly 24 representatives of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders around the country. That's ludicrous for a start because the Aboriginals don't get on with each other, for, just like the whites don't get on with each other. From the there's People in Tasmania don't speak on behalf of people at the tip of Cape York, for example, and then in the north. So it's ludicrous that they could represent. But these people will be appointed there haven't even been any rules as to how they'll be appointed, if they'll be elected or not. So, so we're, we're giving the government a blank slate, which is exactly what the UN does. So um, what they want to do, then, then the other thing, I mean, there's so many things you can talk about here. Then the other thing is we had an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders commission in, uh, in the 1990s, 2000s. And it was it was rife with corruption. Um, they were turning a blind eye to to the real problems of the Aboriginal communities, um, and the murdering of women, the sexual abuse of women, the raping of women, raping of children, murdering of children, uh, and eventually, and, and and if you called that out, then you were labelled a racist. So very few people called it out, and then eventually, some of the Aboriginal men started feeling shame about them being silent, so they called it out. And then in went the uh, in went the uh, police force to make sure that the, the law, law and order was kept in their communities. And then it opened up the ATSIC and everyone said, this is terrible. So they abolished ATSIC. Now, ATSIC was created by legislation in parliament, so it was easy to remove. What the, um, what the Aboriginal industry, and that's the white and black, Activists, lawyers, consultants, bureaucrats, politicians, academics, what the white and black Aboriginal industry created was a, was a, a, a trough for feeding off. 
and they, yeah. they, they intercepted the money and they used the money. What they found was they got knocked off because it was legislative body. So they want to enshrine it in the Constitution where it will be almost impossible to remove, theoretically possible, but it will be practically impossible to remove. That's what they want. So that's what The Voice is all about. So The Voice is about giving the Aboriginal industry control, which will, which will mean it will be totally unaccountable, totally unaccountable, which will make it even worse for the Aboriginals and the Aboriginal communities, far, far worse. Most of the problems in the Aboriginal community are due to past uncaring or governments that thought they cared and, and – and uh, churches that thought they cared, but they really didn't understand. They didn't listen. But then they were that was worsened and entrenched by the Aboriginal industry, which controls things. Now, we've got native title over here, which is a, a system of uh, supposedly a lot of the whites in the cities think that's a system by, whereby we gave them back their land. Well, that's complete rubbish. When you go to an Aboriginal community, the number one problem they have is they haven't got access to land tenure. They haven't got access to land title. And that's what they want. But what happened was the United Nations appears many times in the preamble to the Native Title Act. And so it was a United Nations land grab before, this was in 19, 1990, uh, early 1990s, late 1980s, early 1990s, I think. And it was a ruse. It was an excuse to take the land off the owners and lock it up. And mm. so now the Aboriginals haven't got land. So it's the same old trick to, to get control of the land keep it from the Aboriginal, keep it from everyone else and, and lock things up. I mean, only now they want to put it in the constitution so it's enshrined there and will be impossible to take out and give them complete control. Well, exhibit number one for you to look at is New Zealand, um, Malcolm. Uh, you know, the Australians just need to look here and see the damage that's going on here. Uh, we've got a Treaty of Waitangi that seems to, uh, to use the term, being bastardised by Maori elites. Um, we set up a Waitangi tribunal in 1976, and it's just been a massive gravy train. So we are exhibit number one. Uh, there's some, there are some differences, but yeah, this, this, I've been watching quite a bit of Australian media and seeing this discussion about the treaty sneaking into the discussion all of a sudden is is intriguing. But interestingly, to me today, I studied your bio, and at the bottom of the parliamentary notice, uh, yeah, it's under the Australian Parliament. It says. At the bottom, we acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the country throughout Australia and acknowledge their continuing connection to the land, waters and community. We pay our respects to the people, the cultures and the elders past and present and emerging. And then it goes on to say Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are advised that this website may contain images and voices of deceased people. And I just don't get why that was at the base of your bio. I mean, it's clearly at the bottom of every MP's bio, but um, it seems a bit of an over, overreach to me uh, having that there. It's sort of setting the narrative uh, a bit wide, I would have thought. I agree with you. We, we get it everywhere. I'm welcome to my country every time I land at an airport um, and, and every every ceremony, whether it's got anything to do with Aboriginals or not, um, I'm welcome. Every morning, the first thing that happens is it used to be the Lord's Prayer, and then welcome to country. Now it's welcome to country, then the <clears throat> then the Lord's Prayer, uh, and a lot of and and some of the Labor Party would like to get rid of the Lord's Prayer, but the welcome to country is a complete over, overreach. It's not accurate, um, and the the fact is that the High Court ruled in 2020 that I think it's 2020 or 2022, that Aboriginal claim to the land in this country ended in 1788. It was never, there was never a system of land tenure in the first place. 
but I'll have to. I've, I've just written down um, check on welcome to country because I haven't. I haven't. I don't go to my own website, so <laughs> I'm guessing that that's one of the conditions of the uh, yeah. of, of the of the use of parliamentary services. But um, I'll check on that because that shouldn't be there. It, well, it's just intrigued me. I mean, it is like uh, we find it here as well. Things um, get placed in strange places, and you know, uh, Jasper's a councillor now, and this Karaki is at the, that's a sort of Murray welcome at the start of every every council meeting if council if the mayor allows, and most of them do. Uh, so, um, you know, none of us, none of us are. Um, uh, and well, those of us that are respectful of everybody, um, acknowledge everybody having rights, and but they have responsibilities and respect to give back. Uh, we just seem to be having it one way traffic again in this country, and I just don't know why it is. But anyway, it's like, um, COVID. It's like COVID, it's like climate, it is just one way traffic. There's no back, backing uh, evidence to back up these claims, they're just indoctrination and they're just. Relentless, so it's it's all it's all orchestrated. This UN, United Nations, this voice push in our country is part of a global push from the United Nations. Mm. So, so I can't understand even in um, in Victoria if it's only fifty five forty five. I can't believe. Uh, you know, I, I know I sound like I'm an extreme, uh, though I'll be labelled extreme right winger. Well, there's nothing extreme in a right wing uh, about me, uh, but. How come ninety nine percent aren't voting against um, this? Not this voice. I just it seems unbelievable that it could even be so close. Well, one of the things with the United Nations, Don, as you're probably aware, is that the indoctrination starts from very, very early in a child's life, and it's relentless. And we've been we've been given the story that the Aboriginals have been treated very, very badly. In some areas, that's the case, but. Uh, it was through care, and 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 it's it's. There's no point in going into the details of it, but people mature, and and, and white and black people are the same. They mature, um, and we start learning differences. We start learning the, the things that are not good about ourselves, and we we correct that. That's one of the beautiful things about human beings. If we're doing things that are hurting, we actually fix it. Mm. Once we're conscious of it, we fix it, and it doesn't matter whether you're. Black, white, brown, yellow, red—it doesn't matter. That's all, all. That's 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 in every human, every every race, every nation of humans, especially the people outside the political class. So that that's what we've got to remind ourselves all the time. So the Aboriginals have been hard done by in, in many ways, but they've also had a wonderful benefit of of uh, European civilization coming into this country because their life, their life. Um, their what is it life expectancy was much much lower than it is now now in some areas of course the aboriginal life expectancy is very low because they have been alienated from the from the uh, from the from the land themselves because of because of european civilization they've been caught up in the crosshairs if you like and and that's very sad but they're not going to be re- that that's not going to be rectified by having a bunch of bludging um activists getting in the way and stealing their money, stealing their land. What what we need to do with the Aboriginals is give them the same opportunities we're giving the whites. Mm. Give them their land tenure. Aboriginals are just phenomenal people. That you know, we've got some of the brightest brains in the country are Aboriginals. We've got some of the best sportsmen. The the National Rugby League. So we will go there instead of instead of uh, rugby <laughs> union. We'll go to the rugby league. Um, the National Rugby League has got way out of proportion representation of Aboriginal um, 
men in it because they're just bloody good athletes. We've got they they punch above their weight. They're good at academia too. Some some of the Aboriginals are, are wonderful at across the whole gamut of, of arts, sport, the whole thing, industry, uh, medicine, the lot. And and so we they just need to be given an opportunity, and that means get the bloody bureaucrats out of their way, get get the do gooders out of the way, and instead, what we need in this country is not a voice, Jaspreet. We need an ear. <laughs> and that's what I've said before. We need an ear so that people listen. The the activists don't listen. They're just pushed by ideology. They think they know what's good for the Aboriginals. And the Aboriginals will tell you those same activists are, are just stealing their livelihoods. That We've got a program in this country called um, uh, Close the Gap. It's supposed mm. to be a gap between Aboriginal and, and, Australia, and uh, European Australians. Okay, And there is a gap in some places. But... I asked people in the Aboriginal communities, what do you think about Close the Gap? Some of them went, what's that? Mm. You know, and and, uh, and others would say, one of them, an islander, told me this. He said, Malcolm, while ever, the, while ever there's money coming in, there will be a gap yeah. because they don't want the gap to close because they want the money to keep coming, not to the people on the ground, but to the activists and the bureaucrats and the, the lawyers and, the, and, the, the, um, and all the rest of the parasitic people who are hanging off on, the, on this gravy train. To close the gap, while ever there's a close the gap campaign, there will be no closure of the gap. No. So this and it's is exactly the Aboriginal the industry. Same thing in most of the other issues, be it something like, you know, gender and LGBTQ issues. Now, we have advanced a lot more since the 50s or 60s and the attitudes that were held towards anyone gender diverse at that point. But yet, if you would listen to the hysteria around it, you would think they're really hard done by and that marriage equality laws. And most of us don't bat an eyelid at anything of that. The only thing I, I would say as a mother of two young children, the only thing I ever worry about is anything that's on display, let it be age appropriate for a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Don't yep. make them grow before their you know, time. Don't make many adults of them, they're kids. But yet there is money there. There's money there to be had. And now we have in New Zealand, we have uh, the diversity and gender uh, activists who are now also activists for COVID vaccines, also activists for decarbonization and degrowth. Also, somehow they are climate experts and everything. It's like you get an all-in-one package. And it, it never you know, fails to amaze me how multifaceted these people are. Well, pardon me while I just add... Um... COVID, I've made a list of, of things. COVID, this is the commonalities of the UN. COVID, invisible, undefined, unmeasurable. It's all about dollars and control and the outcomes are inhuman. Climate change, invisible, undefined, unmeasurable. Do it's all about dollars and control. It's inhuman, some of the consequences of it. The money scam, the printing of money, invisible, undefined, unmeasurable. You get the drift. Mm. It's all about control and and wealth transfer from the, we the people to the to the globalist predators, and gender is the same. It's concocted. It, so many children, and and that's what they are. They're children until they're mm. eighteen. They're children. Uh, so many teenagers, uh, adolescents go through gender dysphoria. I mean, it's not it's not the majority by any means, but it's it's a sizable chunk. That's normal. That's mm. normal for adolescents who are confused. I mean, such hormones swirling through their body. They, they, they're bringing in estrogen, uh, what's, yeah, testosterone, etc. And it's a whole, whole cocktail of, of chemicals flooding a, a child's body. 
and they're confused and their brain is modernizing and re 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 uh, connecting um they're, they're they're very socially self-conscious many of them because they they all of a sudden get gangly their arms take off before the rest of their body and their legs take off you know their limbs and and they feel awkward and they look awkward um and and they sometimes can't they knock things over trying to reach for something because they haven't got used to their new limbs and and their the nervous system hasn't hasn't adapted yet we're seeing a significant shift in in a, in a in a little child growing into a tall adult within a matter of years and it's also hormonal it's also mental and so this huge shift and things start getting questioned they start feeling awkward they start feeling embarrassed and then they wonder should i really be a girl you know and these are normal thoughts for, for quite a few people and then what happens is the United Nations, and that's that's what is pushing them. They come in and say, "Well, Malcolm, you you are a girl. If you say you you might be a girl, you're a girl. That's it." And and instead of looking, instead of giving me counselling or support and love, they give me hormones, cut off bits of pieces of my body, uh, and give me testosterone injunctions and puberty injunctions and pu- puberty blockers, and that puts them puts me on the treadmill then for a $3.2 billion industry that is big farmers going to get fat off again. So if you look behind, where's the money? And if you look behind, where's the control? And that's what we see, control and money and the deceit. What people with gender dysphoria should be done, should have is love and compassion and be treated as, if it's a serious case, treated as a mental health problem because that's exactly what it is, even in adults. So Mm. in adults, some very, very small proportion of people have a very serious condition and and they probably are better in in the alternative sex. Okay, we accept that. But it's still a matter of a mental mental health issue and it's still a matter of love and compassion that needs to be given rather than chopping bits and pieces off their body. That's basically it. And what they're trying to do, again, they're trying to destroy the family. These United Nations, they're all about stealing your property rights because then you've got no responsibility, you've got no entrepreneurship in the country. It's mm. all about destroying family, because when you destroy family, people look at the government. The government has more control. It's about destroying religion, because that gives people faith and strength, so that then people are dependent on government. You've got basically back to feudalism then. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I've got the, I often quote, neo-feudalism is, is all about us, and uh, I think that's what you're alluding to. One thing I really liked in one of your recent podcasts was, you said when people sleep, democracy dies, and uh, you know I can't I can't argue that that's just bang on. And I I love the way you use terms like predators because uh, you know predators and parasites and things like you know terms like that they do resonate. And we've all been too soft on the people that are coming uh, at this as we call it woke stuff. We've been very very timid because we're very respectful people. And I think in the end, we are going to have to get a little less respectful and use terms uh, like descriptors, like predators or parasites um, against them. But anyway, well, Don, I think we should just to move cut to, in there. Um, just, yep, sure. Just, just to cut in, if I could, we haven't just become uh, soft on our language, we've become complicit. Wind farms are called wind farms by the United Nations because a farm is a lovely place. It's a productive place. There's nothing productive about a a wind turbine, nothing. Mm. There's nothing productive about a solar panel, nothing at all, unless you're off the grid. But if you're on the grid, it's a parasitic malinvestment. 
That's exactly what it is. You know, so we, I, I said, I refuse to use their language. So, um, so yep. you know, every, everything. Fossil fuels, it's an, they're not fossil fuels. They're hydrocarbons. They're, they're, compo- they're compounds of, of, car- of carbon and hydrogen atoms. That's what they are. They call fossil fuels as a derogatory term. And, and um, so, some of the other, I'm trying to hard to use the language all the time. Yeah, you are right. We're being conditioned. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Mm. And what they're doing is they're conditioning us to use the same language, so we become disciples of of their of preying on people with with the language. You know, so they're they. I just call them unless I can find a very good term that people can get quickly. I just mm. call them what they are. So wind turbines, solar panels. That's what they are. They're not renewables. The only thing renewable about them is that they have to be renewed every twelve years or so. <laughs> so we just have to call out the the facts. Oh, what? Yeah, like. Of course, when you have the likes of Guterres come out and talk about global boiling, I mean, it is language that it is it is the words that matter to people. And we do have to do, as you say, call out these nonsense words. And I have watched yourselves and uh, yourself and Alex Antic and others um, sort of ham it up this. See if, see if we can get something better than global boiling. Um <laughs> Uh, because yeah, it, the, these things do get into as we just talked about the young minds are very impressionable, and it is part of indoctrination. But hey, I but, think we but, should. You know the contradictions. The contradictions in COVID is what woke people up. We had so many young people. When I say young, late teens, early twenties, even up to thirty-five, forty, who were who were conned by the climate scam, absolutely conned by it. When they saw the COVID come along, at first they were panicking like everyone else. Then they realised this is way over the top. It's hyped. It's exaggerated. It's nonsense. It's lies. There are so many contradictions from day to day, from government to government within their country, state government to state government. So many contradictions that people went, hang on a minute, this is this is rubbish. And that's when people started saying to me, the young people, um, I'll give you a good example. We we um, were very slow to get onto Instagram. We had a very low following on Instagram. And then when I started speaking up about COVID, once I realised what was going on, our Instagram drew, grew dramatically because it was largely young people. Mm. And it got to about 45,000 and, the, and, and, the, uh, and, and Meta capped it and just wouldn't let it go above that. It's now gone above that, just slowly, slowly, slowly going above that. But it shot away from them very quickly. And what a couple of them said to me, um, when I first started posting on Instagram, I would post about COVID, and then every now and then I'd dribble one in about climate. And the climate one wouldn't get much of a fo- much of a um, many many likes. But now, when we post about COVID, but sometimes we'll get we'll get even more likes when we post about climate because people are saying I can see what's going on now. And the beauty of that, Jaspreet, is not that I've lectured them. But they have come. They've come along themselves, and they've worked it out themselves. So they own it. If you lecture, people don't own. When they discover for themselves, they own it. And so now they're talking about the climate scam. So, um, so and that's, in our case, in, in New Zealand, it also helps that some of our uh, COVID modelers have also now turned climate modelers and carbon credit uh, vendors. So the same, same government <laughs> contractors between, you know, a couple of professors and dames and others, the same ones have now gone into climate modeling. So people, I had friends who could see the COVID nonsense for what it is, but, oh, they were completely on the climate, you know, just pre dairy farming and all of this is really bad. They now suddenly see it because 
I think it's a case of once you see one lie, if someone lies to me about one thing, I don't trust them about anything else. Because how do I isolate a liar from, you know, they lie about this, but everything else is, you know, holier than thou here. And that's what's happened. But uh, Senator Roberts. It's just one, one thing in there, if I could jump in. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're starting to see now is the fear is being is changed. It's no longer the fear in the people who've been indoctrinated with the climate lies and the COVID lies. Mm. It's now fear in the perpetrators of those lies. Yeah. They're fearing political irrelevance. The UK had a by-election a week ago, I think, um, uh, some, some uh, electorate starting with you, I've forgotten what it was. Anyway, the, um, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, came out against 2050 net zero. Yeah. And he, he got an increased majority. And that is telling. And what we see now is, um, see, before I got into the Senate, very few people would call out the Greens for their inhuman policies, anti-human policies on climate, which are, which are clearly anti-human. But when I got in there, I would call them out and, and they don't like that. And I would, I would give them the facts and they don't like that because they just talk about emotion. Now they can see the people starting to wake up. They are terrified. And so I had a matter of public importance last week uh, and the Greens, there were three or four Greens speaking and they, they just went ape. They went crazy. You know, billions of people are going to die. You're going to kill billions. You're going to die. And, and we're just laughing at them and, and they couldn't handle it. And, and the media now in Britain is turning. Mm. And that's despite the global ownership, you know, and so, uh, global predators who own the media. So what, what's happening is we're seeing a, a dramatic shift and they're losing the battle. And when people come out and talk about boiling, no, people go, this is rubbish. <laughs> this yeah. is rubbish. So the more pressure we put on them, the more they expose themselves. It's wonderful. And just before coming on this evening, there was a, a press release from a couple of German stations. So they have snow plows deployed in a German city after a freak summer snowstorm there. So coldest winter, boiling ever. I won't even try pronouncing the name of the city because it's beyond. Well, they, they, me. Yeah. They're knocking down wind turbines in parts mm. of Germany to extend the life of a coal mine. Mm. Mm. The uh, You know, about a month ago, I was traveling through where I live, Southland, and stopped somewhere for a coffee en route. And this group of German tourists hopped off uh, their van and started chatting to one of them. And this lady started asking me, oh, what do you do? And this and that. I'm sitting alone. And she said, you know, Germany, she said, we had sanctions against Qatar for its human rights. And she says, now we, can, we can't stop buying as much gas as they would sell us. So, you know, being cold and hungry is occasionally the best reality check ever. That's right. There was a, a sticker against mining. This is back in the... 70s and 80s at the University uh, Colorado School School of Mines, I think it was, mm-hmm. uh, and the bumper sticker said something like, "Let the there was a lot of anti-mining sentiment in those times, but it was about the environment, not about climate." Uh, and, and and the bumper sticker that the Colorado School of Mines put out went around ran, ran around America and around the world. It just said, "Let the bastards freeze in the dark." <laughs> that's it. Mining isn't everything. Everything, everything I can see, apart from your your face, Don and Jasper, the thing, the headphones you're wearing, everything came out of the ground, either in the form of food or agriculture, or sometimes out of the ocean, or especially mining. Everything. And mm. what would we do without the steel? You know, the, the steel that's, that's made in this. What would you do without the plastic? And every single bit of steel needs coal. Yeah. Green steel we've is all- talked about, but it's completely brittle and rubbish. And plastic. 
120 byproducts of, of coal and oil that of coal rather that that are, include plastics and plastics are, plastics save us energy save us effort they save us um, reduce our footprint you know they have to be disposed of properly otherwise they're pollution but these things are wonderful and it should be me the the, the person who is um, who is making the decision as to where to spend my money who determines whether I buy a plastic pen or a metal pen but both of them need energy and both of them need mining Hundred percent, they do. I think it's um, absolutely uh, a key story of ours, isn't it? Um, you don't get much without the harvest from the environment. You just don't get much. Sure. And well, the, not- the best the best friend of the whales is coal. We were using for, before we started using uh, coal for lighting and electricity. We used whale oil, and the whales were hunted to near extinction. Yeah. The, the area of land of land in the developed continents covered by forests has increased 30% in the last 100 years because we're no longer burning trees to have cooking and for heating. We're using coal or gas or oil or nuclear. I mean, the best friend of the forest is coal. That's what stopped all this chopping down of trees. It stopped the exploitation of animals. You know, prior to that, we used animals or human slaves to do our grunt, uh, do our grunt work. Now we use coal, slaves driven by electricity. And it's just one of the the, the worst, the other scam that I didn't put up there before when I talked about COVID, climate, money, all being invisible and gender is the anti-human scam. Mm. Coming back to Bob Carter, who I had so much respect for, you know, Bob said to me one day, um, he said, this is the biggest scam ever, Malcolm. I said, no, Bob, it's not even close. So what do you mean? He said, climate is the third biggest scam. Mm. The second biggest scam is the money scam the way the Federal Reserve Bank controls the money supply, and which might end pretty soon. But that is a far, far more powerful scam than the climate scam. The climate scam just extends their fingers. They said, what's the number one scam? The number one scam is the anti-human scam that's been going on since the Malthusians in, in the Club of Rome. And they're basically saying, you are a greedy, rapacious, uncaring, irresponsible. You don't care about the planet. Nothing could be further from the truth. And that's why my, my uh, belief is that I'm very, very positively pro-human. Because, Don, I, you look like a tall fellow. I can't tell from here, but I'm just a runt. But, you know, when, when we popped out of our mum, we were about the same size, right? And we were completely helpless. When a foal is born, well, you'd know this from your calves. When a calf is born, Jaspreet, when a calf is born, within a few minutes, literally, it, it may be half an hour at most, it's awkwardly getting to its feet, shakes itself around, and it's cantering. I mean, humans take two years to walk properly, and even then they're still st- unsteady on their feet. Their brain doesn't develop for, for years. You know, they're dependent on, on, uh, on their mum and dad for 10 years. Now, okay, so not everyone is a perfect parent. But the fact is that if you are alive and looking at me, I know someone's cared for you somewhere along the line. Otherwise, you'd be dead. Mm. And that, that same care. We're the only animal species on the planet where if we're fouling our nest and it's not good for the planet, we will wake up to that and we will change what we're doing. We're the only ones that are capable of doing that. Yep. And so I see us as enormously um, beautiful creatures. Mm. And, and the other side of it, and a lot of people never think of this, uh, Malcolm, is um, nothing that's farmed has ever gone extinct. Uh, once you actually farm things, you generally do the right thing by uh, the preservation of those animals. Uh, 
There's a whole lot of good things. And I'm, look, it's just heartening to have someone speak the same sort of language that Jasper Eaton and I have talked about for the, the five months this show's look, been going. The best person to control, the, the, the to manage the land, to have custodian, uh, to be custodian of the land is the farmer, the best person, because the farmer, that's all they have. Their number one asset is their soil. Correct, Jasper? Absolutely. Even if you're a dairy farmer, soil. Yep. Uh, and yet we're told by the Queensland government here and many governments, farmers let their soil run off and, and, and clog up the Barrier Reef. It's complete rubbish. There's no there's no impact of, of, of farming and chemicals, fertilisers, so, uh, soil particles anywhere on the reef, anywhere on the reef, not even the inner reef close to the, close to the shore. Um, so it's complete rubbish. A farmer does not want to lose her land. That's the most important asset because when you when you retire, you're either going to sell that that land and buy and, and buy somewhere else, buy uh, um, you know something on the beach to live in, or you're going to hand it to your children. You're not going to hand your children a, a wasteland, so you're looking after that. The other thing is a farmer knows deep down that if they care for the environment around the farm, the farm will be in better health. The bureaucrats have no clue what I've just said, no clue at all. Instead, they want to put restrictions in that, that take over from farming and destroy farming. And the United Nations just wants to control it so that instead of eating beef or lamb or pig or chicken, we'll eat, we'll eat slop. Crickets. Mm. Well, with crickets, there, there are several things. One is crickets, one is plant-based proteins, and the other one is, um, which is the most dangerous, in vitro lab meat concocted in, in a lab. That's, that's hideous. Well, you know, Senator Roberts, I... I see more and more people turning around, pushing back at this. I myself, for a long time, I think for the last couple of years, I was despairing of getting somewhere. But this year, certainly, as the economic pain has hit us, it has certainly hit us in New Zealand, things are turning. And I am very hopeful. And I, we'll have to wrap up today. And hopefully, Don and I have not spooked you off enough to bring you <laughs> back at other time. But we are so grateful and I think slightly envious, aren't we, Don, to have some people standing up across the ditch, representatives yes. speaking up. We don't have any. So more power to you. More power Thank to you, you, Malcolm. All right. We're, we're certainly um, we're trying to get a royal commission onto the COVID sort of uh, fiasco here. And hopefully you get one over there. But, uh, you know, how long is that going to take? Um, but there's a lot of stuff we haven't talked about today and I wish we had. And uh Clearly, the COVID was the biggie because, boy, you've been stirring up a hornet's nest over there. And it's uh, for people that need to get up to speed with that, um, I'd say get on to Malcolm's um, uh, Facebook, Facebook page and feed and uh, just get up to date with it. It's all power to your arm, Senator. It's it's great to see. Thank Thanks you very much, on. Don. Yeah, Thank it, you so much for your time today. No, you're welcome. It's just It's just my job. That's what I can't get over. It's just my job, and people compliment me for it. But guess who pays me? The taxpayer and the citizens of Australia. I'm supposed to represent them. I use these things and this thing once I understand what they're saying. And and that's that's what's critical. It's representative democracy. I'm supposed to represent the people that put me in parliament, Amen. including the ones that didn't vote for me. Absolutely. Yep. On that note, I think I hope some of our politicians take a feather from your book. Thank you so much, Malcolm. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Jaspreet Bopperai and Don Nicholson with Greenwashed on RCR, Reality Check Radio.